Well, perhaps the only thing more awkward than a sermon on money is a sermon on sex. Uh, Last time I was up here, I got to preach on money. This time, sex. So I'll quickly become the favorite preacher here. As most of you know, this summer we are in the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs are very simple and practical sayings written mainly by King Solomon in the 10th century B.C., Today, we're going to look at Proverbs 5 through 7, and you would be wise to turn there now. It's uh, page 990 on the blue pew Bibles that are provided around you. Just up front, I want you to know my prayer for this time together. It's that we would treasure the words of the Father more than the foolishness of our flesh. That we would treasure the words of the Father more than the foolishness of our flesh. Because our flesh and the temptations of this world are out to destroy us. They're out to destroy us. Well, usually, destruction comes rather innocuously. I was reading recently about a Christian man who was asked by a friend to co-sign for a loan of somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000. The bank wanted more security, obviously. Uh, this guy thought, well, this is, you know, this is, a, this is a friend of mine. He seems like a good guy. I think I can trust him. So he, he co-signed for him. Well, as you might guess, the friend defaulted on the loan, and the co-signer lost around $100,000. He almost lost his family, his home. He was put in great jeopardy because of just a simple, a simple signature, putting up security for a friend. This is, something, this is something that might seem small, but it's something that the Proverbs and God is concerned about. God is concerned that we would act wisely and not make foolish decisions in, in everyday life. You can usually get away with, uh, with co-signing for a friend or a family member without this kind of result. But the Proverbs tell us, listen to me, son. Listen to me, Christian. Act wisely. Don't make foolish choices. And that's exactly what we see in Pro- at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 6. I want you to notice just right away that in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19, there's nothing about sex in those verses. Uh, but the rest of chapters 5 through 7, they're mainly about the danger of illicit sex. But before we talk about that, let's briefly consider kind of more mundane foolishness and, uh, and some wisdom in, uh, in chapter 6 here. We have three losers in uh, chapter 6, 1 through 19. We have the cosigner, the sluggard, I couldn't, I, I, we're going to say the vagabond, number three. So the cosigner, sluggard, and vagabond. Just let's briefly look at these, these losers. We see... Uh, the cosigner is not wise. Um, and if you have found yourself where you've cosigned for a neighbor, maybe a, a, an acquaintance, Proverbs warns us just right here, really clearly, you should get out of that situation immediately. You're putting yourself at risk, and that's not wise. That's the cosigner. Then we come to the sluggard. Well known passage in chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. 
consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. You know, we need to admit as we read this, uh, this description of the sluggard, there's a sluggard inside all of us, isn't there? I, I love what one Christian writer remarks about respectable sins like laziness. He says, your danger and mine is not that we become criminals, but rather that we become respectable, decent, commonplace, mediocre Christians. The 20th century, little dated quote, temptations that really sap our spiritual power are the television, banana cream pie, the easy chair, and the credit card. The Christian wins or loses in those seemingly innocent little moments of decision. I admit, in those little decisions in life, that they, those decisions often reveal me to be a slugger, you know, just... Just one more episode of the show before bed. Just uh, hitting snooze one more time. It'll be, it'll be fine. Proverbs tells us really clearly right here, we need to be on guard against this kind of foolishness. We, our hearts will lose their spiritual fervor in serving the Lord if we, little by little, give in to sluggishness. And then finally, we have the biggest loser of all uh, in verses 12 through 19, of Proverbs. This is, this is a crooked person in all his ways. Uh, we have this, you see that description there. He, he is wicked and worthless, this vagabond. He, and he exhibits this primarily in how he sows discord among brothers. Uh, this sowing discord can be done really subtly. And I think that's what some of this description is getting at with the winking of the eye, signaling with the feet, motions with the fingers. You know, sowing discord can come as you're not even thinking, but you roll, you roll your eyes as uh, maybe at, at something or you make a, just a little critical remark about some godly leadership in your life. Um, or you, you spread a little rumor. How does God feel about this? These little, these little sins of foolishness, it says in verse 19, he hates them. He hates it. The best way to not fall into this kind of folly and become a fool, become a wicked and worthless person, is by actively promoting the unity of brothers and sisters in Christ. So, just right away, I want to ask you, how have you been promoting the unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ at your local church. If it's here, how have you been promoting the unity here at Hinson? You know, just some, some questions to help you think through this. Do you come early to the service so that you can greet visitors, show hospitality? Do you serve in children's ministry out of love for the families and the children here at the church? Do you look for ways that you can encourage brothers and sisters with evidences of grace that you see in their lives? Do you seek to reach across generational or other boundaries that might hinder you from reaching out to people here in the church? Do you regularly pray for our church's unity and the gospel? I hope you do. I know many of you do, and I've been blessed by it. 
But we all find ourselves falling into foolishness in these seemingly small ways, with our money, with our leisure, in our relationships. And I think so often we just kind of, yeah, everybody struggles with that. Those are, those are small sins. Just something I need to work on, something I need to keep in mind. But Proverbs is really strong, and we'll see that this summer, about, about little decisions, little foolishnesses. Um, these can destroy us. So as we read warnings like the beginning of chapter 6, what should our response be as a church? Well, we need to listen. We need to listen to the wisdom of God and not slip into foolishness, even in the banality of life. So those are three portraits of fools in chapter 6. But what the Father spends the majority of his time on and what we're going to spend the majority of our time on is the foolishness of illicit sex. So we have three lectures that the Father gives in these three chapters to the Son. And we are going to consider how falling into foolishness in this area of sexual purity and what it means to live wisely and not be destroyed. Okay? So we're going to consider these three lectures in five acts. So... Act number one, we have the commands and the wisdom of the Father. You're going to want to have your Bibles open. We're going to be doing a lot of turning back and forth in these three chapters. Look first at chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman. Turn back to chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commands, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Turn back now to chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Notice all the images that God piles up for us here and what we are to do with his commands and his teaching. We have, store them up within us, guard them as the apple of our eye, bind them on our fingers, write them on the tablet of our heart, call them my sister and my kinsman. Just a little note, that word for sister is the same word Song of Songs uses to talk about my bride, my beloved. It's like that's how we should be looking at God's commands, our beloved bride. We see in chapter 5, our lips are to preserve knowledge, and we know that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, listening to God's wisdom and obeying his commands means internalizing his word deep within us. It's not just merely having a good theology, knowing a lot of answers, being really up to speed on Wayne Grudem and John Piper, but having this theology seep down to our hearts and be a close friend, a lamp, a light, and our very life itself. Does this characterize how you have treated the word of God, the commands of God? 
Do you treasure the wisdom of the Father as he admonishes the Son to right here? You know, it's easy for me to just kind of throw these questions out and move right along, but I want to pause here for a second and consider this together. How do you feel about the Word of God these days? What's your attitude towards God's commands and His Word? Do you delight in it? Maybe you say, well, I'm not much of a reader. I'm not an intellectual. I have a hard time reading anything. But uh, as Kevin DeYoung points out in his excellent book, Taking God at His Word, I bet words on a page can be a great delight to you if they represent something of great value to you. So an acceptance letter or a will or a letter from a loved one. Or on the other side, what about a warning on an electrical panel? You know, before you do some wiring, those words are going to be valuable to you. Christians are people who delight in God's word. A challenge for you. Sometime in the next week, or next couple weeks, read Psalm 119 and ask yourself, is this my attitude towards God's word? Do I delight in it? Do I love it? Is it life to me? And if you find yourself not able to, to sympathize or empathize with the, uh, with the psalmist in Psalm 119, ask yourself, why am I having a hard time relating to this? What's going on? And ask that God would change your taste buds, right? That he would give you a taste for his word. Maybe some practical steps that you can take to, to cultivate a love for God's word is just simple, ordinary things like getting together with another Christian to read God's Word and talking about it. Maybe reading God's Word before you go to bed at night with your spouse once or twice a week. Why do we need to internalize God's Word so intensely? Why do we need to delight in it like this? Well, in our context, it's because there's another Word that's speaking. And it sounds really good. It's the Father's word alone that can keep us from falling for this other word that is coming at us all the time and that's always speaking to us. And that brings us to Act 2, the smooth words of the strange woman. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. They, that's wisdom and understanding, will keep you from the adulteress from the wayward wife with her seductive words. Look at chapter 6, verse 24. Again, wisdom and understanding will keep you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Chapter 5, verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So the alternative to the Father's words are the smooth words of this strange woman. The reason I say strange is because that's literally uh, one of the words um, that Solomon uses to describe this woman. And it's not strange because she's not strange because she's like socially awkward or she looks funny, but she's, uh, she's unfamiliar. She's She's a, she's a foil and a contrast to the father. She's, she's not just strange, she's an archetype, you know. Um, she's not just an adulteress. She's something more than that. 
And what is most emphasized about this strange woman is not what she looks like. You know, as guys, as we read this, we're like, I wonder, you know, is she, is she hot though? Where, where's the description of what she looks like? No, that's not what's most important to, the, to Solomon here. It's what she says. Her words are seductive and smooth like oil, and her lips drip honey. And this woman's smooth words, they don't just speak to men. All right, she speaks an alternative reality to women too. And her words are irresistible. In fact, this strange woman's words kind of, in a way, make the father's words seem boring. You know, you, you read what you got to do with the father's words. You got to say them over and over again. You got to write them on your hands, keep them before you all the time, promise to never forget them, speak them. Sounds, sounds exhausting what you're to do with the father's words. And then this other voice comes along. And it just says, you don't really need to do anything. Just kind of follow your heart. Follow your impulses. Just have a taste. Just a, just a look won't hurt anybody. So you listen to her. And she's right. It does taste good. Like honey on the lips. So let's hear what she has to say. Proverbs 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, so here are her words, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home till full moon. This woman's words reveal that she really knows us. She tells us everything that we want to hear. The tone of her voice is loud and defiant. Uh, It's a contrast to what we considered in chapter 1 of Lady Wisdom out in the streets, um, also calling us to listen. Um, Just like Lady Wisdom, this strange woman, this adulterer, she's, she's talking loud too. She's making her presence known everywhere. You know, you, you can't get away from this woman. You can, you can do everything you can. You can try homeschool, covenant eyes, you know, disconnect your internet, disconnect your cable. You can move off the grid. You can put, you know, software blocking stuff on your, your kids' friends' computers. You can't get away from this woman. She's never at home. She's on the hunt, and she's going to find you. And when she finds you, she doesn't come and slit your throat. No, she kisses you. She doesn't care that kissing in public is taboo in this culture. She's free. She's wild. She's freedom from the monotony of your life, from the nagging of your wife, from the inattentiveness of your husband. And she invites you to dinner, right? Just, just a little dinner. That's what the fellowship offerings are. It would have meant choice meat, She's having for dinner something better than what's being offered at home. 
She's having a T-bone steak. You can go to her house and get something better. And then she speaks the words that we're all dying to hear. The words that make your face light up. Look at chapter 7, verse 15. She's been looking for us. She wants us. Isn't that a longing of all of our hearts to be desired, to be wanted, to be told that we are worth searching for? You know, when the flattery that we hear is what we've been longing to hear, we can find a way to believe that it's not flattery, but it's real, right? We, we want the truth when the truth tells us that we're awesome. Uh, truth is flexible depending on, you know, how it hits us in our self-esteem. And in chapter 7, verse 18, we have her proposition, this young man. She says, drink deep of love with me. The love she's referring to is an erotic love. And then in chapter 7, verses 19 and 20, she promises pleasure with no consequences. No one's ever going to know. You know, she doesn't try to convince the guy, this isn't really wrong. It's, of course this is wrong. It's that no one's going to find out. The consequences won't be that bad. You can get away with it. It's just pleasure, just a little break. You deserve this. You're only human. Everyone struggles with it. Maybe your spouse hasn't been emotionally or physically available to you. Maybe you don't have a spouse. You have your needs. It doesn't really hurt anybody. You know these lies. You and I know these lies well. The smooth talk. Have you heard the smooth talk recently? Did you hear the smooth talk last night even? You know, this smooth talk makes us think maybe first and foremost, just in our culture, it's kind of the, the secret sin that's out in the open is the temptation of pornography and other forms of personal sexual gratification, right? Porn does bring pleasure. Porn allows the user to be in control, to control the fantasy, You know, someone who's using pornography is not fantasizing about a partner who's too tired or feeling sick uh, or who is unsatisfied with the experience. You get to be king and queen of your fantasy. Everything can be exactly to your lust. Maybe porn's not a temptation for you. Maybe you're uh, a busy mom or a working professional and you don't even have time to check your email, much less thinking about Uh, looking at porn. But I wonder, what does temptation and smooth words sound like for you? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Maybe on your commute. What do you find yourself thinking about? What is the strange woman trying to convince you of? Maybe it's that you need to control your relationships, your family, your finances, so that you can be satisfied. There are a number of alternative realities that the smooth woman, the the strange woman with her smooth words tries to convince us of. Smooth talk, like the smooth talk of this woman, always tempts us to believe that it's okay to gratify our lusts, our greed, our pleasure right now, that we don't have to wait. Instant gratification is available with little or no consequences. It tries to separate our action from consequence. One commentator on this passage writes this, beware of the sins, of those sins that are represented to you as pleasant sins. 
they are more dangerous than others because they most easily gain the heart and most powerfully guard it against repentance. So does our simple man listen to the smooth talk here? Well, how could he not? Proverbs 7.21 With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Our simple man is persuaded. He is seduced. He is led astray by a stranger. Someone who is not seeking his pleasure, but seeking his destruction. He gives into temptation, for he listened. Now his feet go. When's the last time you gave into temptation? Why do you think you give into your lusts? Do you believe the words of this strange woman? Probably don't right now. But do you throughout the week? Do you believe and convince yourself regularly there won't be any consequences for this secret sin, this idolatry in my heart? I don't really need to talk to anybody about this. I got it under control. I can manage it. Well, let's see. Let's see if there's consequences. Let's look to God's word. Act number three, truth and consequences. Turn back to chapter five, verse eight. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Our lusts are cruel taskmasters. To give in to our lusts thinking that we can manage them and enjoy them for an instant is a fool's errand because it is our lusts that in, in, in reality control us. The very fantasy that we think we control controls us and it shows no mercy. When we give in to our lusts, we enter into an evil underworld where there are powers that will consume and ruin us. You know, the picture here that we see in chapter 5 uh, just think for fathers. As fathers, you know, it's, it's our hope and, and, uh, and our effort to provide for our families, to protect our children and our wives. But if we're giving in to secret sins, we're not just putting ourselves in danger. We're putting our whole family in danger. Someone who regularly gives himself to spiritual idolatry in the form of secret sins is a, uh, one of the greatest risks and threats to his own children. Same goes, goes for moms who are keeping sins secret and enjoying spiritual idolatry. I mean, how many marriages have been destroyed by the sin of pornography and other secret sins? How many children have been neglected due to the sins of their parents. We, we so often believe that our secret sins and lust will only affect us, but they will affect all we love and all we care about. That's the picture we see just right here in God's Word. Indulging in porn is strengthening self-indulgence, and it's totally counter to love. You cannot grow in love for God and others if you are feeding self 
regularly in this way. Uh, This reminds me of a part of a poem that Tim Challies, a Christian blogger, posted a while back. Uh, It was an open letter by a woman who had been severely um, hurt by a husband who was addicted to porn. And she just wrote this this open letter to her husband um, as a warning. Here's just a selection. I can tell you this, says the woman, it has not ended in your soul, it being the pornography. It has eaten you up. It is cancer. Do you think you can feed on a diet of hatred and come out of your locked room to love? Later she says, I've never used porn, but it has devastated my marriage, my family, my world. Was it worth it? You know, God gave men strength and energy to pursue him and to work hard for the sake of families and communities. Yet instead, many support the porn industry, which is a billion-dollar industry and growing every day by looking at pornography. You support that industry just by passively looking at pornography. And uh, the porn industry strengthens uh, the sex slave trade industry, which Portland is a major hub. They're, They're related. If you look at porn, you're not just harming your own children, but you are contributing to a growing industry of children being captured to support the insatiable lusts of criminals. Criminals who began passively, just looking at a computer screen. But not only are there consequences for for sin, physical and social ruin, but revenge will be taken against you. Look at chapter 6, verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. You know, if you steal some uh, material possession and are caught, it's embarrassing. You have to pay the penalty. Maybe you'll have to go to jail. I mean, it's serious, right? But if you steal someone else's spouse, what will the consequence be for that? We see the fury of a jealous husband in this picture. No mercy is given as he takes his revenge. Nothing you can give him will compensate for what you have taken. You know, you might just think you're uh, fulfilling your sexual thirst or hunger by gawking at someone, but that person belongs to someone else. There will be justice for the man or the woman that you have wronged. And that will be a terrible day for those whose lives aren't hidden with Christ and God. Lust is a powerful force, unrestrained. So is jealousy. Unlike lust, jealousy has its root finally, and justice, and points us to a jealous God who will suffer no rivals. The cost of lust and illicit sex is not just social and physical ruin and revenge on the one we have, on those who have sinned. Ultimately, it's death. That we, we see this all over these three lectures. Look at, turn over to chapter 7 again, verse 22. Here's the poor, simple fool. What happened to him? All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. 
uh, just a few verses later, verse 26, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Look at chapter 6, verse 26. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And finally, chapter 5, verse 4. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. The ultimate consequence for our sin is death. That's really clear. As we just read, you can't play with fire and not get burned. When you give into your lust, you're messing with the fire of hell itself. The pleasure is real. It's real pleasure. But so are the eternal consequences. Would you die for your love of porn? You might argue, hey, hey, now people don't go to hell for looking at porn. People don't go to hell for, for sins like this, for secret sins of lust. These verses right here, they're talking about adultery. This is Proverbs. This is the old covenant. We are saved by grace. Well, let's go to the New Testament and hear what Jesus has to say. You feel free to turn to Matthew 5, but I'll, I'll read Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. My dad found out that I was looking at pornography when I was in high school. And he took me for a walk. And he started telling me story after story. My dad's a professor at a seminary. He's had many students who uh, go into ministry. He could just keep on going of man after man who had destroyed their lives, their marriages, their families, their careers, their ministry because of just starting off passively looking at porn, becoming addicted, and them wanting more. Just told me story after story. But then he turned to me. I remember this really well. And he says, Daniel, that's not what scares me most. I believe that by looking at porn, you could go to hell. It's kind of shocking. But I think he was giving a very biblical and legitimate warning. Look at Matthew 5. Out of fear for your own soul, out of fear for the fire of hell, stop looking at porn. Stop sexually gratifying yourself. Stop giving in to the second and third looks of gawking at an attractive stranger. Stop sleeping with someone who isn't your spouse. Stop using your money to gratify your lusts by going shopping when you're bored or feeling depressed. Stop overeating. Stop reading those romantic novels and watching those chick flicks which cause you to believe lies. But how? Smooth words. Taste like honey. It's hard to say no. 
It's hard to stop once you've started. You can't just stop. What will we do? First, we're still in Act 3, by the way. First, stay away. Chapter 5, verse 8 of Proverbs. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. You know, in chapter 7, we saw the, the, you know, the father looking out his window and seeing this simple fool. He knows this guy's stupid even before he does anything. You know, he's, uh, he's just kind of wandering about, doesn't have a plan, looks kind of bored. It's getting dark, and he's going to where the prostitute is, kind of in that direction. You know, why not? Night's creeping in, and he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't realize he's being hunted. Chapter 5 tells us really clearly, keep your path far from her. Don't go near. The father tells his son this because he knows how strong the pull is, how powerful foolish lust is. So, are you actively, in your life, avoiding situations in which you know that you are easily tempted? You actively avoiding situations in which you know you're easily tempted. When are you most likely to give in to your lusts? Business trip, late at night, whatever it might be. When no one's around, when you're bored. What are you intentionally doing on the front end so that you don't find yourself in these situations? Like this simple man in chapter 7. You know, it's unwise for an, alcohol, an alcoholic to go into a bar even if he has been sober for decades. Yet, we don't take our temptations as seriously. We put ourselves in unwise situations all the time, and that just proves that we're proud and that we don't take sin and temptation seriously. We don't believe how powerful they really are. Second, what do we do? And this is for, mainly for the married folks here, but sex with your spouse. Um, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets and streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom? Of another man's wife. Great passage for men to memorize right here. Sex is not dangerous. We are dangerous. God gave us sex to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. God doesn't just tell us, no, no, stop it, no, no. Here's something better. It's what he offers us. So consider what God gives our thirsty souls. Sex and marriage is one of the things he gives us. Now, I just have to say, for many couples, sex and marriage is one of uh, the biggest points of contention. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of factors, but I think pornography and sexual sin and the culture we live in uh, of instant gratification is one of the reasons why there's so much contention in marriage over, over sex. But Scripture tells us really clearly, not just here, but we still need to have sex. Scripture commands this. A woman's body belongs to her husband, and a husband's body belongs to her wife, to his wife. So, now, if, men, if you're, if you're struggling with pornography, um, then you're probably not pursuing and loving your wife in this, in this arena, and uh, she probably is not going to want to give herself to you in this way. Um, plus, you're probably 
you're, you're probably treating her um, like you treat the images on the screen in some ways that might even be unbeknownst to you. So, men, talk to your wives. How is she feeling in this area? How, can, how does she feel loved? Date her. Pursue her. Not just so you can have sex with her, but because her pleasure will only increase your pleasure. Tim Challies again writes this. When a husband inevitably feels sexual desire, it is not an invitation to pornography or masturbation, but a nudge toward pursuing his wife. Women, give yourselves sacrificially to your husbands and give them grace. Now, there's a difference between a husband who is trying to love imperfectly and one who is always self-seeking and abusive. Women should never, ever submit to sexual abuse of any kind. So if you're married, remember what God offers in, in mar- sex inside marriage. Now, if you're not married, remember that what God offers us all is better than even sex. That brings us to Act 4. He offers us himself, the fountain of all delights. Act 4, the perfect son. I don't know how you've been feeling throughout this sermon, but as we have been told in these three lectures from the Father to the Son to obey and keep his commandments, I think all of us feel, oh my, we have failed. We have given in to these lusts. And it's, and it's, right, it's before the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of a sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. You know, whether you have committed adultery or not, whether you have indulged in pornography or not, you are guilty before God. All our ways are before him. We deserve eternal death for choosing sin and folly again and again instead of him instead of life. But praise God, there is one who has obeyed perfectly the Father and has chosen wisdom every single time. John 14, 31, Jesus says, but the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The perfect Son, Jesus, is our only hope. Not our will, not our efforts at self-discipline, Jesus obeyed God perfectly as a, as a single man. Jesus was human. He had sexual drive, but he never gave in to lust once. And that's because he so delighted in obeying the Father, hearing his word, and resting in it. He was tempted in every way we are, but he never once gave in. Instead, he delighted in the Father. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that we can be in him. You're going to hear this verse in 1 Corinthians 1.30 a lot this summer. We can be in him who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. How is that possible? How could we, who give ourselves to foolishness time and time again, know the righteousness of God, the holiness of God? 
Well, we know God is, is a jealous God. You know, the jealousy that we saw in, uh, in chapter 6 is, a, is in one sense a picture of uh, our jealous father who will suffer no rivals. And he wants to be delighted in and worshipped because he's the most enjoyable person in the universe. Instead, we give ourselves, though, like I said, to money, to leisure, to sexual lust, to influence, to the idols of our hearts. That's when we need to meditate on what God has done for us through his son, the perfect righteous one who died the death that we all deserve to die. The true son who bore the wrath that we deserved on the cross for all our lust, for all our idolatry, for all the times we have looked at pornography, indulged ourselves sexually, or whatever it might be that you struggle with. You know, the jealous husband came home, and instead of pouring out his wrath on us, he poured his wrath out on his perfect son, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The full weight of God's anger against our sin fell on the Son. And then he got up from the grave. And he offers victory. He offers life. He offers freedom. Victory over sexual sin for all who will have faith and believe in him and walk in the obedience that comes from faith. That brings us to our final act, your response. What is our response to this good news of what God has done for us through his son and bearing the punishment that we deserve? Look, Proverbs 6, 23. These commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Commands, teaching, discipline, and the light of the gospel is our light. We respond in the obedience of faith. No longer giving in to the slavery of sin. No longer giving in to our, our pleasures, but having faith that something better awaits us and has even been given to us now in the Son. It's only when that we, we know the joy and the delight of God that we can say no to foolishness. It's only when we have replaced that desire for foolishness with a greater desire. Living in this fallen world, though, with hearts that are prone to wander can be discouraging. Maybe you've been discouraged as you've heard the words of God this morning. Even though you know Christ died for my sin, um, but you maybe still feel enslaved to your sin. You've tried to stop so many times, but you keep on struggling with that one thing, and and it's just eating you up inside. What should you do? Just as Proverbs 6.23 says, light brings life. Bring your sin into the light. Don't let it fester in the darkness. Hide no longer. Sin loves darkness. Talk to one of your pastors here. There's like 11 of us. We would love to to walk with you as you fight sin. You are not meant to fight this fight alone. And listen to the word of the Father that brings life. Listening to this strange woman will just bring about your own destruction. Life And death has been set before you. I urge you this morning, choose life and walk in freedom. Let's pray. And let's pause and silently reflect for a moment on what we want to take away today.
Heavenly Father, we come to you today as broken people. Lord, so often we feel defeated by our sin. We feel as though there is no hope. But Lord, you come to us in the person of your Son, and you say, come and drink of living waters. Quench your thirst in me and live. Lord, we pray that our hope would not be in our own efforts, but in Christ alone. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to walk wisely in these dark days, that we might walk with each other, that we might be humble and open with each other, that we might know your victory and your grace. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.